Let's open up to Genesis chapter 1. Everybody should have the notes and the divider for the next section. And this next section will take us um, several meetings. It's not going to be just one month. It's going to be probably a couple of months to go through the whole Bible. But we had said, you know, just a little while ago that to put the Bible together, we start with the big picture. And those ideas, I hope, will give you like the uh, 10,000 foot view of the Bible what God's doing, but now it's time to move on to, the, to building a biblical flame, a framework, what I'm calling a Bible outline. Let's create the edges of the picture so you can start to fill things in as you read through your Bible. Much like when you put that puzzle together, you find the border pieces. So once you find the edges, you could build a framework and start filling everything else in. That's the way at least I've watched Puzzle masters put puzzles together. They find the edges, they get the frame, and then they can start to fill it in. So for the next few sessions, we're going to build a Bible framework to try to trace God's story throughout his book. So we'll have a word of prayer, and we'll jump in. All right? Lord, we love you today, and we thank you. Thank you for this amazing book, Lord. It's an amazing... Like David, Lord, our heart stands in awe of thy word. Help me to appreciate it more, to trust it more, Lord. All you ask for is faith. You said, whatsoever is not of faith is sin, and without faith it is impossible to please you. So you've laid out all these rich, amazing things, and all you ask us to do is trust you in return. So help us to do that, Lord, to not lean on our own understanding, but to trust in the Lord with all our heart. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So we're going to break it into sections. Um, Section one, and this is not necessarily something you have to write down for for that handout sheet, Section one, we're going to call God's original, I'm probably only going to do four sections. God's original creation, right? God's original creation and the fall of Lucifer. Now, let's look at Genesis 1.1. This is slightly controversial, perhaps, but it says, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And you see on your note sheet, I believe, the first point is this, that God's plan, you've got to remember this, God's plan is to populate the universe with sinless beings in his image. That's the prime directive, to populate the universe with sinless beings in his image. And you see that in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. He's getting going. Then Genesis 1-2 happens. And the earth was without form, and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. God's plan is to populate the universe with sinless beings in his image. And in verse number two, this plan meets its first resistance in Lucifer's rebellion. You say, oh, you prescribe to the gap theory? No, I don't. I prescribe to the gap fact. I say it that strongly. I say it as somebody that disagreed with it for many years and then really just let the Bible speak and I'm so convinced of it now that if you don't agree with it, that's fine. I still love you. I know there's many good King James teachers that don't believe it. That's, I'm not going to fight with them, but I have the pulpit this morning. So the way I see it is it's it's incontrovertible. So um, let me just show you some things. Look at Job 38. Some, and I don't know all the details of it. I'll tell you this. I know evolution did not happen in the gap. I know there was no pre-Adamic race in the gap. 
but something happened to go from something that looks pretty good to something that we know from the scriptures is pretty bad. Amen. Something happened. Amen. I can't tell you precisely what that something is. I've read lots of books about it, and there's a lot of conjecture about what it could have been. It could be dangerous. It could be edifying. You got to keep yourself really humble when you step out into that like thin ice over there. But something happened. Job 38. All right. Um, Job 38. Show you a few verses about this. Job 38. I'm not there. That's why I'm not saying amen. I needed that. I need a little stall. Uh, 38.6. Again, God's asking Job these questions. One of the questions is, whereupon are the foundations thereof fastened? Or who laid the cornerstone thereof? When the morning... Uh, actually, let's start from verse 4. Where wast thou when I laid the foundations of the earth? Declare if thou hast understanding. Who hath laid the measures thereof, if thou knowest it? Or who hath stretched the line upon it? Whereupon are the foundations thereof fastened? Or who laid the cornerstone thereof? When the morning stars sang together, and all the sons of God shouted for joy. So in the original creation, all those spiritual beings were rejoicing as they watched God work. The morning stars is a name for those angelic beings. They said they were all singing all rejoicing. This is before something happened. So God was doing something and everybody was on board originally. Then Isaiah chapter 14. Isaiah chapter 14. Okay, I know this is a familiar tread for some of you, but be patient with us. Isaiah 14, 13. 13 is the number of rebellion, right? So Isaiah 14, 13. God sees something in Lucifer. He sees something in Lucifer's heart. For thou hast said in thine heart. That's pretty scary because God sees your heart before your actions. I think before he led the rebellion, God saw the rebel. For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. You know the ones that are all singing? Above the stars of God, <clears throat> I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Lucifer had rebellion in his heart. He wanted to be God. What do I think? I think Lucifer led the worship. I think Lucifer led the worship. I think Lucifer reflected the light of God. He's the light bearer. God is light. In him is no darkness at all. I think that light shined through Lucifer, and he was that mediator between God and all these other beings. And he couldn't handle it. He wanted to be like God. And God sees something in his heart, and God says, you're done, buddy. The, God, the job of God is taken. Sorry, we don't need you. And he casts him out. In Ezekiel 28, it tells you, if you want to flip over to Ezekiel 28, it gives you a, a view of Lucifer. 28, Ezekiel 28, look at verse 15. Ezekiel 28, um, I don't want 15. 15. looking at the wrong book. I'm like covenant of death. That's Isaiah. <laughs> Ezekiel 28, 15 says, Thou wast perfect in thy ways from the day that thou wast created, because the devil is a created being, till iniquity was found in thee. What was it? Verse 17. Thine heart was lifted up because of thy beauty, 
I mean, could you imagine a creature reflecting the light of God? Must have been breathtaking. Thou hast corrupted thy wisdom by reason of thy brightness. Right? The fact that you're reflecting this light and so illuminated, you got corrupted, you got twisted, you got your head on backwards. I will cast thee to the ground. I will lay thee before kings that they may behold thee. So God's pretty precise. The pride in Lucifer's heart and even the envy in Lucifer's heart leads to rebellion. That's the root of it. Now go to 1 John chapter 1. First John chapter 1. All right? First John 1 verse 5. <coughs> this then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. There is no darkness in God. He's not like yin yang. He's light. There is no darkness in God. And that's what the original creation was like. It was light because God was there. It was light. But Genesis 1-2, we don't have to flip back there, but Genesis 1-2 says there's darkness now, right? And darkness was upon the face of the deep. God's universe had been made void and plunged into darkness. That is not how God works. God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. I know all the, I know all the arguments against it. I get it. Well, it was just unformed and unfilled. It was like a ball of clay. No, that's not, if the Bible defines the terms, darkness is never a good thing. God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. And in this thing that God is making for this kingdom, he's about to build and populate, all of a sudden darkness is there. Things are void. Things are without form. It's chaotic. Isaiah 45, 18, we read it in the last session. God formed the earth to be inhabited. You see how we're looking back at the big picture? Not to be left without form, not to be left void, which means barren, which means empty. He formed it to be inhabited, full, plentiful, abounding. John chapter 1. I'll leave this alone with this one. This was the one that sealed it for me. This verse right here. Because I read books. I spoke to pastors. I... Spoke to Larry, you know. <laughs> and, I just, and I just consented that, you know what? It doesn't really change much. I'm not going to make too big deal of it. I'm not going to break charity. I'm just going to shut up and sit down and listen and learn and just trust that maybe these guys that know a lot more than I do maybe have searched this thing out. And I just kept my mouth shut. That's a good thing, by the way. You, just, you don't have to be a rebel rouser and turn the place upside down. Uh, if you can, I mean, there's times when sometimes you have to leave. I get that. But, you know, so this is, you know, this is, could go either way. So I'm just going to shut my mouth and sit down. And then one day I'm reading John chapter one in my reading. And the Holy Spirit nailed me against the wall. It says, in the beginning was the word and the word is with God and the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. So I know where we are. We're going back to Genesis one. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. So right up, oh, Jesus is God because nobody could be, he wasn't a created God because there wasn't anything that was created without him. So he made everything. So that means he's God, contrary to what your Jehovah's Witness friends tell you, right? In him was life, and the life was the light of men. So I know we're getting back to the beginning now. God is light. And the light shineth in darkness, 
and the darkness comprehended it not. And I read that verse at the end of verse 5, and the Holy Spirit said to me as clear as day, since when does darkness have sentience and comprehension and understanding? If I shut the lights out and we sit here in the dark, we're not going to say the darkness doesn't understand what's going on. So in that moment, it was just sealed in my mind. That darkness in the beginning was spiritual, not physical. It was a darkness with the ability to understand or not understand, to comprehend or not comprehend. That darkness was spiritual darkness, not just physical darkness. And that's what sealed it for me. You might say, that's so silly. I don't know, that's what I needed. That was like, to me, everything came clear to me in that moment. I was like, oh, duh. The darkness, there was something going on, some kind of darkness rebelling against God, and God shines his light into that, and that darkness is like, what is that? It's kind of like you when you tell somebody about Jesus Christ. What are you talking about? The darkness comprehends it not. It's not because the lights aren't on in the ceiling. It's because the lights aren't on in their heart. So the Bible opens with what the whole book is about. You see that? God's plan and the devil's rebellion. You don't get past verse number two. And you got God's plan and the devil's rebellion. Because what do we say? Everything is about God going one way and the devil moving to oppose him. And you see it typified and pictured right there, right from jump. Amazing book. Let's go to the second section. Section number two. So section one is going to run us Genesis 1-1 to Genesis 1-2. That's a whole section. That's the original creation and the fall of Lucifer. And like I said, I've read books about Earth's earliest ages, and people like to hypothesize about all kinds of stuff that happened between Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 1-2. Evolution didn't happen there. There wasn't a pre-Adamic race there. I don't put the dinosaurs there, but just something happened there. That's, what I, that's as far as I go. Something happened there. Lucifer rebelled there. I can't go much further than that. Now, my second section will run me from Genesis 1-3 to Genesis 1-31. That is the reconstruction. That's the second section of your Bible. The reconstruction of the creation. And we like to teach our kids about the seven days of creation week. But we have to correct something. These are the seven days of recreation. Right? These are the seven days of recreation, reconstruction. You notice how the word created shows up in verse 1? The word created doesn't show up again until verse... Let me go back to Genesis with you. right? It doesn't show up again until verse 21. right? You got created in verse 1. You got created in verse 21. Genesis 1-1 is God's original creation. And then verse, down by verse 20 and 21, the fifth day, now we have life appearing. Something different going on. Let's break the days down, shall we? Genesis 1-5 will be that first day of recreation, reconstruction. It's light versus darkness. God divides light versus darkness on that first day. Why? Because that's where restoration begins. When you make some right divisions in your life and you draw the line between light and dark, that's when you could start to rebuild. 
until you draw the division between light and dark in your life, you're never going to rebuild anything that's been destroyed by sin. You've got to say, this is evil, this is godly, this is right, this is wrong. And God divides the light from the darkness to show you that the same way I am rebuilding something fallen, you've got to rebuild something fallen by making right divisions in your life between light and darkness. Verses 6 to 8 are the second day. In the second day, we have the waters divided and the firmament made. See, if you you think about it, um, you probably can't see this, but here's your universe. The earth, the Bible says, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. God's up here by the sides of the north and the earth was up there, it looks like originally. And then sin happens, and God looks like he plunges the earth into some kind of waters. He drowns it. He floods it. And then God separates the earth from the waters. Now you have waters above the earth and waters under. You got these deeps. Now, The earth had been thrown into chaos and drowned after Lucifer's rebellion. God is now separating the earth. He says the earth standing in the water and out of the water, right? Um, Psalm 148, verse 4, talks about the waters that be above the heavens. It's above the first heaven. It's above the second heaven. There's waters above the heavens. Psalm 148, verse 4. Revelation 4, 6 says that before the throne, which is up here, The face of the sea is glass like unto crystal. There's a sea of glass there. And Job 38, verse 30, says the face of the deep is frozen. It's like perfectly frozen ice, like glass. There's waters up there. There's waters up there. Now, here's the firmament, right? And Leviathan swims in this thing like a fish. He's out there in outer space with the devil and his angels. That's where they dwell. But there's a sea of glass here. There's waters that be above the heavens. It's frozen, but it's water. Please notice this day number two, when he does this, this is the only day God doesn't call good. It's the only day he doesn't call good. You say, why? Because it's when God makes a separation between him and his creation, and he makes an abode for Satan. That's not called good. That's not by accident. Every other day, one, three, four, five, six, they're all called good. This day is not called good because this is the day that God creates a space for the devil to swim in and he creates this sea, this separation between him and his creation. Because the Bible says in Revelation 21, there's going to be no more sea. What's he talking about? He's talking about this is going to be gone because the tabernacle of God will be with men. He'll dwell with us. There'll be no more separation between God and man. You think about it, you let me know. And I'm throwing a lot at you. All right? Genesis 1, 9 to 13 is the third day. The seas gathered. The earth reappears with grass and trees. Verses 14 to 19. The fourth day. What do we got on the fourth day? We got the sun, we got the moon, and we got the stars. In that order. Sun, moon, and stars. You say, why is that important? Go to Malachi chapter 4. Why are they in that order? When you get to the place that every word of God is pure, 
When you get to the place that everything is there by God's design, you become like a detective searching after the greatest mastermind that ever existed. And you realize that there's truth in everything. Malachi chapter 4, verse number 2. The Bible says that, But unto you that fear my name shall the Son of righteousness arise with healing in his wings. Right? The Son is first because the Son is to rule the day. That's Jesus Christ. The Son to rule the day. He's first. The Son, S-O-N, will rise again the third day. 1,000 years? A 2,000 years? Three. In that 3,000th year, he's going to take that throne, and the Son is going to rise. We've had 1,000 years since Jesus Christ. We've had about 2,000 years since Jesus Christ. When that third day comes, he rises again. And he sits on that throne, and the Son of Righteousness rises with healing in his wings. The sun is first, then the moon. Go to Song of Solomon, chapter 6. Song of Solomon, chapter 6. It's always sun, moon, and stars. Sun, moon, and stars. The sun, Jesus Christ rules the day. The moon, Song of Solomon 6. Song of Solomon 6, verse number 10. The Bible says, Who is she that looketh forth as the morning, fair as the moon? That is Solomon talking about his bride. That is a picture of Jesus Christ typified by Solomon talking about his bride, the church, who is likened to the moon. The sun rules the day, and the moon rules the night. The church is supposed to be ruling in the night. The church is supposed to be the one affecting the tides of the earth during this thing called the night. The moon is the church. The bride is that moon. So let's go back to Genesis 37. Who are the stars? It's not, you know, Leonardo DiCaprio and... You know, whoever you think it is. Who are the stars? Genesis 37. Is that what I want? Yeah, Genesis 37, 9. Joseph's talking about his dream. And he dreamed yet another dream and told it to his brethren and said, Behold, I have dreamed the dream more. And behold, the sun and the moon and the 11 stars made obeisance to me. Those stars were his brothers. His brothers were the 12 tribes that become the 12 tribes of Israel. You got me so far? Amen. Go to Revelation 12. Let's do scripture with scripture here. Revelation chapter 12, which is not talking about Mary, contrary to what sister so-and-so told you. Revelation chapter 12. Sorry if you didn't grow up Catholic. You miss out on all my good jabs, you know. Revelation 12, but when you've had your hair pulled and thrown to the floor by a nun more than once, you want to get your jabs in when you can. Revelation 12, 1, and there appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and with the moon, and the moon under her feet, and upon her head a crown of 12 stars. That's the nation of Israel. Those stars are connected to the nation of Israel. So we got the sun, Jesus Christ, ruling the day. Then we got the night, that is the moon, that is the church. And then we got the nation of Israel. 
Isn't that how it goes? Jesus Christ came, then he left away, the night came, and the moon is out, that's the church, and then after that, Israel's gonna take center stage again. The sun, of the moon, and the stars. That's the order that God made them, not by accident. You go back to Genesis 1. Actually, you don't have to turn there, but yeah, go back to Genesis 1. And uh, that was the fourth day about the light, the sun, moon, and stars. And the fifth day, God creates life, right? You see it on verse 20. That's the first mention of life in your Bible. It's the fifth day because Christ had five wounds to defeat death. Jesus Christ tasted death, D-E-A-T-H, by grace, G-R-A-C-E, to defeat the devil, D-E-V-I-L, who had the power of death, D-E-A-T-H. Five bleeding wounds he bears received on Calvary, right? They pour effectual prayers. They strongly plead for me. And notice in Genesis 121, God created great whales. He wasn't talking about me, but whales appear on the fifth day when God creates life. Did you ever wonder why? Well, you just blasted through that in your Bible reading so you could check your boxes, right? Well, you remember, go read over there, Matthew, when Jesus Christ likened his resurrection to Jonah going into the whale's belly. And that's when Jesus Christ asked life of his father, when he was promised life, and God raised him from the dead and gave him eternal life so that he could give us eternal life. You see the connection? That Jesus Christ gave us life by rising again from the dead out of the whale's belly. And in Genesis chapter 1, on the fifth day, the same day he says, let there be life, is the day he created whales. Just an accident? Or God trying to connect some dots for you? See that? Life came when he resurrected from the dead, when he just absorbed death and gave us life. And guess what? He came out of that whale's belly. How about verses, uh, Genesis 1, verses 24 to 31? That's the sixth day. God created land animals and man. Six is the number of man in your Bible. So he's created on the sixth day. I want to know you a couple little nuggets there for you, a little couple little tidbits for you to impress your friends. Um, verse 24, let the earth bring forth the living creature after his kind cattle. Please notice that after with a whale on day five, which is a picture of the resurrection, we see cattle, which is connected to the devil and Baal worship. So right after God's doing something, the devil's doing something. It's always like that. Verse 26, and you want to notice something? This was just something I was looking at this morning. Cattle's got six letters. He's created on the sixth day, and there are those creatures are mentioned six times. Six, six, six. Cattle, creeping thing, beast, 24. Cattle, creeping thing, beast, 25. Six, six, six. Six letters on the sixth day, six things mentioned. I wonder if it's just a coincidence. And in verse 26, you see that the Lord creates man in two things, in his image and his likeness. His image is spiritual. There's your kingdom of God. His likeness is physical. There's your kingdom of heaven. Kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven, you're not even through the first chapter of your Bible, and it's there. Spiritual and physical. Spiritual's first, isn't it? Hope it is in your life. Genesis 2.2. 2. 
And on the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had made, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had made. The seventh day, God rests. It is a preview of the coming millennial rest that's coming on the 7,000th year of Earth's history. We doing okay so far? You're not overwhelmed, are you? It's only discipleship too, man. It's not even institute. Just you wait, all right? All right, let's go to our third section. All right, this gets us into Genesis chapter 2. All right? It's man in the Garden of Eden. All right, let's look at it. Eden, by the way, if you were wondering, Eden means well-watered or fruitful. That's what Eden means, well-watered or fruitful. And the land of Eden is actually a pyramid. You know, we think it's like this little sliver. No, what they're fighting over now is very small compared to what God actually gave Israel. The land of Eden was a pyramid. It started on the left side, you'd have Egypt. At the top, you'd have Mount Ararat. And on the right, you'd have Ur of the Chaldees. That's the land grant. That's what Eden probably was originally, that big pyramid. Egypt on the left, Mount Ararat on the top, because that's where the ark rested, picture of God and his throne, and there is Ur of the Chaldees on the right. And notice in Genesis 2.8, it says, and the Lord planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put man whom he had formed. So Eden was already there, okay? It wasn't like God created Eden. Eden was already there, and God put a garden eastward in Eden. God put Adam and his wife in that place with a purpose. Look at Genesis 1.28. You see that purpose. And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Nope, sorry. And replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. God put them there to replenish the earth, to put back what Lucifer had taken. You see, the sons of God had followed Lucifer in his rebellion. That's referring to angels. That's referring to Genesis 1-1, Genesis 1-2. Some of those sons of God followed Lucifer in his rebellion, so the son of God, Adam, was put there to replenish the earth with sinless son of God, sons of God that he could get through painless childbirth. Because it's not after the fall till childbirth hurts. So God says, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. Because we lost some sons of God, now I'm going to replace them with some sons of God. Genesis 2-15. The Lord gives man a perfect environment and a perfect occupation. Dress the garden and keep it. Because there were enemies. You understand? What is he keeping it from? There's an enemy on the loose. That shows you that it just didn't all start with Adam and Eve. There was something before that. There's an enemy before that. And verse 16 and 17, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. The Lord also gives Adam a choice. Like he gave Lucifer a choice, like he gave the angels a choice, he gives Adam a choice. Remember the big idea. The whole parenthesis is about 
a choice. Adam got a choice. I don't command you if you're not having the faculty to choose. How do you command somebody to do something if they're robots? <laughs> How come God commandeth all men everywhere to repent? Because they have a choice to repent or not to repent. I don't know why that's so hard for our Reformed brethren to get. I don't know why they got this veil over their eyes. They've read too many books and saw too many silly things and given up on the Bible, but God gives man a choice. It doesn't make God weak. It makes God great. Because the people that follow him have chosen to follow him in, in spite of everything. Isn't that amazing? Amen. If God made robots, how is that amazing God? Oh, you made people to worship you without their will? <laughs> I could do that with, like a, with AI. I could do that with a robot. I could just turn the thing and a little toy will walk across the, the table when I wind up the, the batteries or whatever it's made out of, right? That's not amazing. But for you to have a choice and still look at yourself and say, you know what, I choose God anyway, that makes God that much greater, Amen. not weaker. makes him greater. Sorry, I get on the thing. All right, verse, uh, section number four. The fall of man. That's going to be Genesis chapter three. Please notice where it starts. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? You know where the fall starts? It starts with the serpent doing what he always does, messing up your fellowship with God. He just wants to get in there and be like, what did God really say? I'm not going to, we, we broke that up and banged that around when we talked about the Bible issue in our last classes. But he just gets in there and he tries to get you thinking differently about God, tries to get between you and God. That's what he always does. And the fall of man centers around two trees. Genesis 2, verse 9 and 17, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which we know from other places, which I'll show in a second, is the vine tree and the tree of life, which we know from other places, is the olive tree. There's a whole bunch of trees mentioned in Genesis, which we won't go into right now, but you can find out them when you read them in Judges and you cross-reference, you see what some of those trees are. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil was the vine tree. Uh, go to Numbers chapter 6. Numbers chapter 6. Numbers 6. Let's take it from verse 1. Numbers 6, 1. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, When either man or woman shall separate themselves to vow a vow of a Nazarite, to separate themselves unto the Lord, he shall separate himself from wine and strong drink, and shall drink no vinegar of wine or vinegar of strong drink. Neither shall he drink any liquor of grapes, nor eat moist grapes or dried. All the days of his separation shall he eat nothing that is made of the vine tree, from the kernels even to the husk. The vine tree is the only tree God forbids in the Bible. Only tree, right? And if you go back to uh, Genesis chapter 3, and you look at verse 6, <coughs> Genesis 3, 6, Genesis 3, 6, 
And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat, gave also unto her husband and he did, her and, and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were open and they knew that they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. So when they partook of the vine, they were cursed. So it wasn't an apple, it wasn't a pomegranate, right? It wasn't a pear, no matter what the Sunday school flannel graph draws it as. It was a grape. They ate a grape, and it was some grape. I mean, it was crazy grape. I don't know what that was, but it was a grape. And the Bible talks about the blood of the grape being called wine. Whatever they had, that, that grape was like wine, went in there, and it corrupted them, and it did something to them, changed them, separated them. Spoiled them for God. And in the New Testament, Matthew 26 says, Jesus Christ takes the cup. Why? That grape in the beginning was a curse for them. So Jesus Christ took that cup and became a curse for us. And he drinks that fruit of the vine, right? And he just takes the curse for us. Now, the other tree in there is the tree of life, the olive tree. Romans 11, I'm not going to flip over there, but Romans 11, verses 16 to 18, talk about the olive tree as giving life. Jesus Christ is likened to that olive tree. He is the tree who gives life. And if you've got bad blood from Adam, you are cursed. You can't live forever. That's a tragedy because you got bad blood. My son and my wife and I, we know all about bad blood. We know about when your blood goes bad, how much it could ruin your life and possibly destroy your life, right? Because the life of the flesh is in the blood. And Adam and Eve got something in there, got something in them. They drank, they ate that grape. They had that blood of the grape go in there and somehow mess them up bad. I'm not going to speculate, but it messed them up. And they end up being corrupted now and separated from God. And in Genesis 3, 6, you see what Adam does. There's a little preaching for you. But Adam did what most Christians do. He threw God overboard to get something down here. Oh, Eve? All right. That's what a lot of Christians do. We throw God overboard so we can have something down here or someone down here. Right? Too many Christians are willing to throw God overboard for a girl or a guy or something down here or someone down here. So that's like a, a practical look at what Adam did. But another, uh, another picture of it is Adam is also a type of Christ. In that moment, he is tasting death to fellowship with us again. Because Adam's like, Eve, I can't be with you. I'm going to have to be with you. I'm going to have to take this also so I could be with you. Right? So before the fall, Adam and Eve were pure. I would contend that before the fall, Adam and Eve did not have blood like you have blood. Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. No mention of blood. Jesus Christ sheds all his blood on the cross, shows up in the upper room and said, you know, flesh and bones. A spirit hath not flesh and bones as ye see me have. No mention of blood. Uh, Leviticus, after the fall, Adam and Eve are corrupted by the blood of that grape. That's what the juice of a grape is called in Deuteronomy, the blood of the grape. Right? That blood corrupts them, for the life of the flesh is in the blood. And 1 Corinthians 15, we don't have to flip there, but if you're writing notes down, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 50 says, God calls flesh and blood corruption. Flesh and blood corruption. 
That's what he says. Flesh and blood corruption. So in Acts chapter 20, God says, I had to take on flesh and shed my blood to forgive your sins. A perfect sacrifice, a perfect substitute by perfect blood for people who had bad blood. Now verse number seven mentions the fig tree. The fig tree is all about self-righteousness. It's all self-righteousness. Man trying to cover his sins in self-righteousness. A little bit of religion, a little bit of good works, a little bit I know better, a little bit I read some books too. That's all self-righteousness. Man is always since the garden trying to cover up his nakedness with his own self-righteousness. Remember what Jesus did to the fig tree? He cursed it. The fig tree withers because man's attempt to cover himself will always wither. They don't last. A little bit of religion doesn't last. A little bit of discipline doesn't last. A little bit of head smarts, a little bit of grandma told me so, it's not going to last. It's not going to help you stand in the day of judgment. Verse 8 and 9. And they heard the voice of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? Please notice that God was still seeking man, even though man had sinned. That's a great God. And in in verse 8, man in his fallen condition is doing something he never did. He's hiding from God. Adam never did that. But after sin, that's still what happens. Sin makes you hide from God, makes you drop out of church, makes you close your Bible, makes you to avoid your Christian friends because you don't want to be where God is when you're in sin. (coughs) Excuse me. Chapter 5, verse number 3. Notice. In 5.3, And Adam lived in 130 years and begat a son in his own likeness after his image. Man has lost the image of God, spiritual, until the image of God, Jesus Christ, shows up again in the book of Matthew. The image of God is gone in the whole Old Testament. Once Adam loses the image of God in sin, everybody else is born in the image of a fallen creature. They've got a fallen spiritual condition. And the image of God, 2 Corinthians 4.4, Hebrews 1.3, Colossians 1.15, the image of God is Jesus Christ. The image of God is not back until Jesus Christ, the image of God, shows up on the scene again to impute that image back to man through his sacrifice. But in Genesis chapter 3, verse 22, the Lord in his mercy, or 21 I should say, the Lord in his mercy provides a sacrifice to cover man's nakedness. That's a blessing. And the Bible says in Proverbs 27, 26, the lambs are for thy clothing. That's what the Lamb of God did for us. He clothed us in our nakedness. And our last section will be brief here. All right. Cain and Abel. This is Genesis chapter 4. Cain and Abel. All right. The account of Cain and Abel is a great account. It shows us man's two ways to God. There are only two. In verse 2 and 3, Cain brought the works of his hands from a cursed ground. In verse 19 of chapter 3, God said, Cursed is the ground, and Cain is bringing from the cursed ground. 
Abel brought a sacrifice in verse 4 from his flock. He brought the shed blood of an innocent. He must have learned something from Adam who had those coats of skins. Adam had watched God slay an innocent lamb to cover their nakedness, and he must have passed that down to Cain and Abel. Cain wasn't listening, and Abel said, oh, that's what God wants? So he takes the firstling of his flock, and he slays it to appease God. He sheds the blood of an innocent. And everyone on earth is trying to approach God one of those two ways. What does Proverbs 14, 12 say? Uh, There is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. God's got one right way, and the devil has many wrong ways. Right? It seems right. It seems like if I keep the stations of the cross, and I die in a state of grace, and I receive, you know, holy communion, and I do all, it seems like God will be happy with that. It seems like if I give alms to the poor, and I pray five times a day towards the east, and I, you know, make the profession, and, and, I, and, I, and, I, and I do all those things, I walk those five pillars, it seems like that'll be right. It seems like if I just maintain a state of nirvana and walk the eightfold path, then somehow I'll reach happiness and peace and all that stuff. It seems like if I just do the best I can and I just keep the golden rule and I'm just kind to my fellow man and I don't kill anybody, that'll be all right. They're all the ways, plural, of death. Two plus two equals four. There is one right answer. There are many wrong answers. Seven, three, Negative point two. They're all wrong answers. We go on and on about all the wrong answers to two plus two. And we can go on and on about the hundreds of religions and systems with which man is trying to justify himself. Scientology, Baha'i, Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormons. We can go on and on and on. Atheism. We can go on and on and on. But they're all just wrong answers to the question two plus two. There's only one one way, Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the way. It is exclusive. It is the way that God accepts, the firstling of the flock. You know what Jude 11 says? Jude 11 says, Woe unto them that go in the way of Cain. Woe unto them that go in the way of Cain. The way of self-righteousness, the way of the fruit of the ground and the toil of your hands. Look at 4.5. But unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect, and Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. The Lord rejects Cain's first offering. Please notice the first is rejected, like your first birth is rejected. But for four, it says, and the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering. The second is established, like the second birth is established, the way to God through sacrifice. Because without shedding of blood is no remission. Or as somebody jokingly said, you can't get blood from a turnip. You can't get blood from a turnip, right? None of those vegetables could give God the blood that he needed to atone and appease his wrath. Verse 6, And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth? Why is thou countenance fallen? If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? See, Cain had a choice. Sin is always a choice. Cain could have been accepted, but he didn't want to. So verse 16, Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod on the east of Eden. Cain goes from the presence of the Lord. Verse 17, and Cain knew his wife and she conceived and bare Enoch and he builded a city called the name of the city after the name of his son Enoch. The first murderer 
builds the first city. Where, pray tell, do most of the murders happen today? Not out in the country, in the cities. Just ask your friends from Chicago, or Rochester, or any, or inner city St. Louis, or inner city Minneapolis, where they're going crazy, where people are dying, where people are shooting each other every single day. It's not the weird guy out there with his metal muffins that you gotta worry about. It's people in the cities, that's where it's going crazy. That's where it's going crazy, and the first murderer built the first city. Not a coincidence. So here we have that principle established. That God rejects the first and establishes the second. And here we have the emergence of two lines in the Bible. See 425? And Adam knew his wife again. And she bare a son and called his name Seth. For God said, she hath appointed me another seed instead of Abel, whom Cain slew. And to Seth, to him, also there was born a son, and he called his name Enos. Then began men to call upon the name of the Lord. Seth gives us the line of Christ. Seth's line represents light, represents day. From Seth is going to come the good guys in the Bible. But last verse, 1 John chapter 3. Cain is the other line. 1 John chapter 3. <clears throat> 1 John 3.12. 1 John 3.12 says, Not as Cain. Let me let you get there. Not as Cain, who was of that wicked one. Seth gives us the line of Christ. From, them, from him comes the Messiah, the light, the day, the good guys, and Cain is the line of the devil. He represents darkness and the night. That's where you get your bad guys in the Bible. It's all starting. All this groundwork is being laid in your opening chapters of your Bible. So we're going to have a word of prayer, and we've gone through five. There's, I, have, I don't know how many sections I have of the Bible. We break into a bunch of sections. The number's not important. But just, just laying some groundwork so you're starting to see the narrative of the Bible, the story of the Bible, the account of the Bible, and hopefully you could look back and start to see the big ideas plugging in. God rejects the first, establishes the second. God's plan, the devil's moving to oppose him. Light versus dark. It's all there. It's all there. We haven't gotten to chapter five of the first book. And the entire history of the human race is all there. It's all there in the first chapter, but it's all there. Let's pray. Thank you for being here.